We are in a short series in the book of Habakkuk, which is a very short book of the Bible, only three chapters. And uh, it's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, minor not because he didn't play in the major leagues. Um, It's just because of how short the book is. That's uh, how they got their names. And so Habakkuk has a, a prophecy. And actually the name Habakkuk, his name, this prophet's name, means to embrace or to wrestle. And what we're going to see Habakkuk do all the way throughout this book is wrestle with God and embrace God in trust. And so the major areas we see Habakkuk wrestling with God over are things I think many of us can identify with. Um, The first one is that God doesn't seem to care. That God just doesn't seem to care about the situation, about the circumstances, about what's going on around me, about what's happening to me in my life, in society. Where are you, God? God doesn't seem to care, right? And then uh, God could act, but he's not acting. That Somehow there's this disconnect because I realize that God could step in and act in this situation. I've seen God move in different situations, and yet in my situation, or in this season, or in this nation, wherever, it just doesn't seem like he's stepping in and acting. And then the third one is that God just doesn't seem fair. Anybody felt like that? God just doesn't seem fair. You see people that are like blessed and, um, you know, prosperous and all of this, and then you're, you're just struggling. You're like, I'm really trying to serve you, God. And they're completely not. What's up with that? Just doesn't even seem fair to me. And so today, as we work through the first chapter. Last week, if you missed it, you can go back either uh, on our YouTube channel. Welcome to all you guys, our church family joining online today. Um, You can go back there or also on our podcast and catch up because we took the whole sermon basically and just set up the context of this book placed in history. But I've got two goals for you today. And that's to ask you and to kind of challenge you that if you've never wrestled with God over some of these things, if you've never really struggled or wrestled with God over some of these things, I want to ask you why. And I want to poke and prod a little bit because what I want you to get you to try to evaluate is maybe you've accepted a version of God that is far less than who he has revealed himself to be. And then second, I want to tease out a simple question that I think when we find ourselves in times, in seasons of life where we're really struggling through some of these, I think it'll be a question that might help you shift your mindset in the midst of circumstances that you don't understand. So I just want to really quick recap what we took most of the sermon last week to set up. So God makes amazing promises to Abraham that this nation will be raised up through him to be a blessing to all the nations, a light to all the nations, right? And then we flash forward. God tells Moses that, hey, I am, after they wander around the the wilderness for 40 years, I'm getting ready to send you into the promised land. And he tells the people through Moses, if you follow me, you're going to live long in the land. But if you abandon me and go after the detestable idols of the region surrounding you, I will take you out of this land. We We told you last week, some of your parents said that, right? I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. And then the most like depressing bummer thing right at the end of Moses' life, uh, God tells him, hey, you're about ready to die after you've wandered around the desert for 40 years. And these people are going to go into the new land and prostitute themselves after all these other idols. In other words, everything you've told them to do, they're not going to do it. It's like, oh, thanks, God. 
Did I need to know that information, right? And so God predicts, but through Moses, he also has this amazing promise that even if they go into the land and are taken into exile, that at some point God's going to gather them back and that God will always have a remnant of his people. So beautiful promises. Flash forward to Solomon. And the kingdom, it's a superpower, but now they go after idols. The kingdom splits. Ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. The ten northern tribes don't last very long. They go into detestable idolatry, a whole string of wicked kings lead them astray. And they are hauled off into exile by the Assyrians. And not too much later, Judah, the southern kingdom, is struggling. And they have a few bright spots in there. But by and large, a bunch of wicked kings that are leading them into idolatry, into all the practices of the nations around them, they are not a light. And exile is promised. God says, because of this wickedness, I'm going to bring punishment. I'm going to bring correction to this nation. And then right after that, there's this incredible bright spot. This young king named Josiah comes onto the throne at a very young age, eight years old. And when he's about 16, his heart is after God. Somebody in his life, his mama, his grandma, we don't really know. But somebody um, raises him in the knowledge and the love of God. And he falls in love with God and he begins to serve him. During this time, they begin to fix up the temple that had fallen into disrepair and worship God again and get rid of all the idols that they'd actually set up in the temple of God and get rid of all the, the pagan sacrificial sites, right? And also, during this time, they discover in the corner of the, the temple a dusty little copy of the scroll, which is the f- first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And it's just been thrown aside, discarded. They, they've lost the word of God, and it's brought out to King Josiah and read to him, and he actually tears his robes in a sign of mourning because he realizes as they read this, the judgments that have been promised, they've not kept their side of the bargain Judgment is coming. And yet there's this reprieve. God says, not in your lifetime, to Josiah. And he leads the people in this beautiful spiritual renaissance, spiritual revival, where they return and follow the one true God and return to the law of God. And it's this amazing moment. And then he dies at age 39. He goes out to battle against Pharaoh, Necho, the king of Egypt. In one sentence, he's gone. And I think it's so telling that as you go through Scripture, there's so many amazing accounts of these amazing men and women of God who do incredible things, who follow God, but then in one sentence it says, and they die. And God's story goes on. God's story isn't done. But their part in it has been played, right? And it's a reminder for you and me of the scope of our lives compared to eternity. And that our lives, no matter how wrapped up we are in them, in a scope of eternity, they're an instant, right? Everything can change in an instant. Um, Last fall, uh, right at the end of August, I was up on the Mesa. You couldn't tell this now, but I grew up, I was a pretty big cyclist, pretty good at it in high school, pretty in shape. And uh, mountain biking, road biking, different things like that. And so I always have this feeling like, I'm pretty good at this, you know, except for I haven't done it in like 20 years. So I, uh, I go out with my friend on this trail, and I always, I'm always the guy that, like, people, I only go skiing about once a year. I'm okay. But every time I'm like, I don't know if it's worth it, because I might blow a knee out or something. But now nah, I'm mountain biking. That's safe. So I'm out. We're about half a mile, mile into this trail, 
And it was um, crazy. There's a rocky patch that's coming up, right? And I just try to jump off my bike to walk this little rocky patch. And as I come down, one foot slips, and my left foot comes down hard on the edge of a rock and just snap. I can still, like, see and hear the sound. Probably need counseling or something. If anybody wants to help me out. And in an instant, the next several months of my life completely changed. In an instant, that feeling of being invincible, of strong and capable, changed. And Josiah reminds us that in an instant, this life can be over. None of us anticipates that. None of us expects that. None of us gets up thinking about that in the morning. But the truth of Scripture is it would remind us of that because it would change the way we live, right? And after Josiah, his son Jehoiakim is, is put into power, but because they've been defeated by Pharaoh Necho, he's, he's Necho's vassal or basically a puppet king. And he is wicked and he is corrupt. He killed the innocent who opposed him. He refused to pay the laborers, the poor laborers in the land. He, he corrupted the priesthood and the prophets in the land. He sent assassins who killed the true prophet of God. Really bad dude. And he led the people astray. And before you know it, Habakkuk, somewhere um, we think in the years just following 609 B.C., looks at a nation that's been completely, you imagine this incredible period of hope as he sees you know, the nation return to God and to justice under King Josiah. And then it's over in an instant and it declines back and departs and turns away from God. And that's the context that Habakkuk writes this lament. And he looks, and we'll pick it up in verse 2. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Like, God, I am crying out for help, but you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. This is, as you go through the Old Testament, and it, this is actually a legal plea for justice, which throughout the Scriptures, God promises to hear. When injustice is being done, He promises to hear it, right? And Habakkuk says, but you're not doing anything about it. You promise. I know your word. You promise, but you're not doing anything about it. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. He looks at the corrupt legal system and says the little guys don't get justice, but the rich, powerful people, they get away with murder. Literally. How is this, God? I look at this nation that had so much hope for this brief moment, and now it's all descended into chaos. In four short verses, he describes a society filled with crime, violence, corruption, a broken justice system, the righteous being pushed down. And he asks this question, like, God, why do you tolerate all of this? Why do you tolerate so much wickedness? Why, do, why does it seem the wicked people prosper and the righteous are done away with? And as he's doing this, here's what he's having. He's having a hard time reconciling who he knows God to be through the Scriptures with what he sees around him. As he sees how society is going, he knows he has experienced an active, present 
God. He's read the amazing stories of an active, present God. And yet, as he looks around him in his life circumstances, he's going, where are you, God, in this, right? Where are you? What's happening? He's wrestling with God. And I don't know about you, but this is something I can identify with, right? In different seasons of my life, going, where, where are you, God, in this? Because I, I've been through periods of time. I've been, you know, in the mission field. I've been in different places where I've seen you move so dramatically and so clearly. Anybody had a God moment where as you look back on your life, you would say, I know that I know that I know that God showed up in that moment and there's no other explanation for it. Raise your hand and keep it up for a second because look around. Yeah, most all of us in the room, if you've been following God for a period of time, you have one of those moments or two or many more in your life where you look back and you go, no other explanation, but God stepped in and moved in my life. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe it was a healing. Maybe it was just like God spoke something into your heart or mind. Uh, maybe my, like my dad, you saw literally a big screen TV in your mind saying pray for someone. Found out there was a crazy circumstance going on later. I don't know. But as you look back, your experience and who you know God to be, both from Scripture and from life and from your friends and from pastors that preach and tell you stories and missionaries that you know, is that God is an active, alive God that moves in the affairs of mankind. And yet you look at your life and go, why? Where are you? And that's a disconnect. And it's not easy to reconcile. So let me ask you this. This is the first question I want to ask you. I've just got two questions for you today that we're going to tease out. The first one is this. If you've never wrestled with God, why is that? And I'd love to have you really think that through this week, that if you've never had a period of time where, like the prophet Habakkuk, you're going, why, God? Where are you, God? Why is that? And I think for some people, I think there's multiple reasons. For some, you're just pretty young still. Maybe you're in your teens, maybe you're in your 20s. And you've just never really experienced a season of life that was really all that hard. I mean, you've had some difficulties. And I'm not going to downplay them, right? Maybe a bad breakup in a dating relationship, right? And that was really hard for a couple months. Or maybe it was, uh, you know, like you had to pick your second or third pick for college. And it was hard. But really, you've just never experienced a season where life has really gone that haywire. And that's just because you're young. And I'm here to tell you, as you age, as you grow, as you continue, expect seasons in life that you have a hard time reconciling with who you know God to be. It's just the way that life works. Jesus even said, in this life you'll have trouble. And there's going to be things that come up and arise that you have a very hard time with. For others, that's really like, I think for many, it's been because of a past hurt. That there was a season in the past that you had a hard time reconciling with who you knew God to be, and you prayed and you fasted over something. You prayed and you fasted that something would happen. You prayed and fasted for a kid that you had. You prayed and fasted for a, you know, a situation nationally or something, and it seems like God just did nothing. And you, in your heart, detached. And you just ratcheted down your expectations, and now you don't really pray about big stuff anymore. You just sort of, in your heart, in your mind, God is there, you believe in him. You, you would say, theologically, you believe he's alive and active in your life, but your life 
does not reflect that. And for others, maybe you just ultimately, you, you have a picture and a view of God that is not who Scripture reveals him to be. That you look at all these people raising their hands and you're like, yeah, I, I bet they're just crazy. Or you've got like, yeah, but... Or I'd tell you some of my stories and you're like, yeah, but I can think of a natural explanation for that. Coincidence. Well, okay. And really in your heart, you don't have an expectation that God's going to move in the situation because functionally, even though you believe there's a God out there somewhere, you don't believe he's alive. You don't believe that he's active. You don't believe that he's moving today, speaking and interacting and involved in, you, in life and in history. Now, I bet you still are in conflict because I bet you've prayed in a moment. There's a saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. And you've thrown one up here or there, right? Just in case. But if you've never wrestled with God, why is that? If, if there's things that are, are burdening you, why, why is that? Maybe you're just so caught up and self-absorbed and busy and distracted that you've numbed yourself. That you went through a period where you followed Jesus with all your heart. You're seeing God show up. A lot of people, they start out the Christian life just on fire for God, seeing him move in all these ways, praying, seeing God answer prayers, and then something happens, right? Either something happens, a prayer isn't answered, or just you start getting busy. You start getting bored. The sermon isn't that exciting to you. You've heard the theme before. And before you know it, you find your heart just drifting into this place where, you know, you say you believe something in your head, but you're not living it at all. In fact, you're just absorbed in life. You're busy. You're distracted. You're numbed. Turn on the TV. There's always noise. Have you noticed there's always noise? And now with digital technology, it's possible to never be actually bored. There's always something to entertain yourself with. You know, it's possible to never actually have to just be alone with your thoughts. To pray and like actually pause and listen to God because you just keep yourself so numbed, so caught up, so absorbed in the stuff going around, rushing from one thing to the next, and it's all about life here and now. I think for some, that's why you don't wrestle with God, because you're just absorbed in here and now, in my little life, in my little kingdom. If you've never wrestled with God, why is that? Many people don't wrestle with God on a deep level until it comes to a personal crisis. I mean, I don't think any of you have gotten really, really torn out of shape because of the tsunami or something. Now, you go talk to the person in, in that village, that's a different story, right? And that's just part of being human. Usually, we don't experience that deep wrestling with God and going, what's going on here, God? until we experience something very difficult in our own life. It's part of being human, right? And in the midst of this, Habakkuk looks right around him, and he asks God a question. He cries out to God. And it's a question that's going to completely change his perspective in this situation. And here's, here's basically the question. What are you doing here, God? Right? He cries out to God, God, I look here, I see this. I look here, I see this. Why do you tolerate this? Why all the injustice? Why don't you seem to be moving, God? 
Why does it seem like you don't care? Why, does it, why do I know I've, I've experienced and I know you could act, but you're not doing anything about it? Where are you, God? What are you doing here in this situation? He asked God. God, would you speak to me? God, I don't understand. God, I need to hear from you. And the cool thing is God answers. The amazing thing is God answers. And here's what I believe in your life. One of the reasons why uh, you don't hear from him, you don't ask. One of the reasons why you wrestle over here and then you just sort of like try to put it out of your mind and you numb yourself and you get busy and you get into all these things and you try not to think about it. It's because you just don't stop and ask God. You don't stop and seek him. And I think this is a very powerful question. What are you doing here, God? Like in this situation, this day, what are you doing here? And I believe God speaks. I mean, he speaks through his word. Because the primary way he speaks to us, he never speaks in opposition to his word, the scriptures. He speaks through the gathering of believers, you know, through other people. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit as he um, communicates in different ways that you just know that you know that you know God spoke that to you. To the wise counsel, right? He speaks, he leads, he guides. But you got to seek him. You got to ask him. And that's what Habakkuk does. And that's a marker of committed followers of Jesus. They wrestle and they ask the hard questions. And so he asks all these things. God, where are you? What are you doing? I don't get it. And the Lord answers him. Here's what God says in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. That's an awesome verse, isn't it? That's like coffee cup verse. Christian coffee cup. Like, you're going to put, let's, we're going to start a Christian t-shirt company and put that one on there with some cool graphics and make some money. That's that verse, right? How many of you have heard this verse? few of you? How many of you are just scared because you know I'm baiting you right now? <laughs> it's an awesome verse. And before we get on, because actually what God's going to tell him is going to blow his mind. He, he's going to have a hard time believing it, and not in a good way. But before we get there, I, I want to highlight this, because Habakkuk does, he pauses and asks God to speak into the circumstances he sees Around. He asks that hard question, Lord, what are you doing here? I don't get it, right? He seeks God and God speaks to him. Just like I believe if you passionately and if you seek God in the circumstance of what you're going through, in the circumstance of the things that you don't understand, it may not be right away, but he will speak to you. And God answers. And what God basically sets up in this verse, and I think it's powerful, is Habakkuk is all wrapped up in what's going on in his area right around him. In this little tiny nation, the two tribes of Judah, in the dusty little place in the Middle East, and then the city of Jerusalem. And he's really caught up, and he's full of angst over what's going on in his little place. Anybody get really torn up over what's going on in your family, in your workplace. Yeah, all of us, right? That's where our focus is, isn't it? 
and what's going on, you know, just in our nation. The way we see our nation abandoning God. It's easy to get caught up, wrapped up, completely focused, myopic, right? When it comes to that. And God's going to pull him out of this. Look what God says. Look at the nations and watch. In other words, uh, no, no, okay. You're focused, Jerusalem, right here. Oh, the king in that palace right over there. He says, ah, let's pull back your perspective. Look at the nations. In other words, oh, no, I've got a bigger plan, a all-encompassing plan here. I'm not limited to where I'm working and what I'm doing. I want you to look at the nations. There's a bigger picture here. Look at the nations and be amazed because I'm going to do something. I'm moving, not just in your little situation, but globally. I, I hold the universe together. None of this escapes me. None of this is stuff I don't see. God answers him, says, hey, you're thinking right here, right now. I'm looking at the big picture. And this is so important to remember that God is always working. Jesus says, my father's always working, right? I'm working. God's got, God's got a plan. Nothing catches him off guard. Nations rise, nations fall. Doesn't take God by surprise. He's not up there going, oh no, we didn't think about that. He sees it. He knows what happened in your life. That, that total left turn that caught you completely off guard, it didn't catch him off guard. And so God responds. He asked God to speak and answer a question. Where are you, God? What, is, what, what are you doing here? And God shows up and speaks to him and answered a question. And here's what you have to remind. What God, when God speaks to him, what he does is he reveals to him his bigger purpose. And when you ask God to speak to you about your little circumstance, about what's going on, oftentimes the way he's going to respond is by revealing to you something about his bigger purpose. You're like, well, God, I'm worried about this. Yeah, but here, pull back. I want you to see the bigger purpose, the bigger plan. And that's the power of asking God, what are you doing here? Is it helps you um, see the world from the bigger perspective of God's eternal purposes and what he's about, right? And so when God speaks, when God steps in and he speaks to him, it's, it's to reveal a greater purpose. And here's what you got to capture from this. The series um, classic, Experiencing God, talks a lot about this. That, that when God does something for you, it's usually for a greater purpose. That God doesn't just show up usually and do something in your life just for this tiny thing. It's part of his greater purposes. Like if you remember Joseph... Remember Joseph, famous guy in the Bible? Joseph is given a dream of him, you know, and all of the, what was it, the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, right? It represented his family. And he goes like a 17-year-old kid would do and blabs it to his brothers, and they hate him. Even his mom and dad are like, are you serious? What are you thinking? Arrogant little punk. So God gives him this dream, and he thinks, wow, this is for me. I'm going to be great. I'm going to be all that. My brothers and my parents even, which would be shocking in the culture, are going to bow down to me. And he's like, pretty cool. 
Then his dad gives him this technicolor coat. He's like, huh, I'm all that, right? Then his brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. He spends the next 20 years of his life in slavery and in prison. Until actually about seven years before this, God pulls him out of prison and and lets him interpret a dream that there's going to be a great famine in the land. And he ends up, what God showed him and revealed to him through this dream that he thought, aren't I great, wasn't about him at all, actually. It was about God's bigger purpose and plan. And he would end up saving and rescuing the family, his whole family, that God had chosen to become the nation that would be the redemption of the world, that would bring the Savior of the world. And through him, God rescues and saves the nation of Egypt, which would be the incubator for the people of God who would bring the Redeemer of the world. It's part of God's bigger plans, bigger purposes, right? Remember when Moses' life is preserved as a baby and you know there's courage there and God moves in and preserves his life. The princess discovers him, takes him into Pharaoh's house. I don't know if he's growing up if he thinks, ah, hey, man, this is pretty cool. This is... Look at the wealth and the power and the prestige, all the luxury I have, right? But it's part of a greater purpose, isn't it? And the purpose is that God would use him to be the redeemer and the leader of his people to bring them out of slavery. Hannah. Hannah has, um, Hannah is a famous young woman in the, in the Old Testament, right? And she can't have children. And it's breaking her heart, and she's in the temple praying, and God hears her prayer and steps in and moves in her situation. And it's a blessing to her, but it wasn't just for her, was it? Because her son would be the great prophet Samuel who would be an incredible judge and deliverer of Israel. See, God moves in a bigger picture. I say this so many times, and I think it's so important to remember. Every time we have a chance and it comes up, I try to remind you, life is for you, not about you. See, you, you experience God's blessing, but the purpose of God's blessing isn't just for your comfort and enjoyment. It's because it's part of God's bigger purposes. And asking the question of, God, what are you doing here, helps you align your heart and mind to realize that in the mundane, everyday details of your life, in the blessings that you've been given, and even in the struggles, that God is doing something that's bigger than you that he wants to invite you to be part of. And if you lose sight of it, you're going to get so myopically focused on what you're struggling with and on today's problems that you're going to lose sight of that, and you'll lose hope in the midst of the season you find yourself in. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, um, says this, When God speaks, it is always full of the presence, power, and possibilities of God. So when you cry out to God and he speaks to you, whether it's through Scripture, like just, wow, that's for me, right? Or through the Holy Spirit, it's full of the presence, the power, and the possibilities of God. It's about a bigger thing that he's doing that he wants to invite you into. And so God responds in verse 5 and says, man, you're going to be amazed. Look and watch. This is a bigger picture going on here than you even realized. Now, before we print this on a coffee cup and a T-shirt and go, amen, let's, like, 
Let's claim that verse, right? The answer in what God goes on to explain is going to blow Habakkuk's mind and not in a great way. And I want you to help me with this because um, we're going to hear about a nation here. And if, if you were living in this time, uh, you would hate these people. You would be terrified of these people all simultaneously. And so um, I want you to help me out because I think you're a little sleepy with you know, the weather this morning. And so when, I, when you hear the name Babylon or Babylonians, I want you to boo. Can everybody try that? Babylon. Thank you. Very easy part you get to play in this. Because every time they hear this name, that's how they're feeling, right? And so here's how God goes on. Okay, I'm about ready to do something amazing. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Wait, wait, wait. God, uh, you're doing something amazing. It's going to blow my mind. Yeah, I'm raising up the Babylonians. What? God? Those guys? Really? Verse 7, God goes on. They are feared and he dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. In other words, they make their own rules. They make it up. Whatever they think's right, they say, this is what I think's right, this is what I want to do. And they promote their own honor. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They're fast, they're lethal. These people are bad. Sorry, anybody remember Michael Jackson? Okay, I know we tried to forget him, but... They're really bad, just evil, not just, you know. You want to know how fast, how lethal they are? When kind of the final battle, the, the major superpowers, they defeat the Assyrians, and then in 605 B.C., probably right around the time, or very likely a year or two before this prophecy is written, they pursue Egypt. They, it's called the Battle of Carchemish. Some of you remember that from high school history. The Battle of Carchemish, famous battle, when the Babylons, uh, the Babylonians, thank you, where they defeat Pharaoh, Nico, Egypt, and Pharaoh flees, and they chase him all the way back down to the border to absolutely crush the Egyptians. It says this, verse 9, they all come intent on violence. Their horses advance like a desert wind and gathers prisoners like sand. They would take prisoners and whole nations and deport them to other sides of the world. Imagine that. Imagine the trauma of that, of being ripped out. That'd be like Canada, right? Except for a ferocious Canada. I like picking on Canada. If you're Canadian, I'm sorry. But it'd be like Canada coming down invading us and pulling every one of us off to the northern territories. Yeah, boo, right? <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because, you know, they have like um, whole states and one of them's just like, ah, we ran out of names. Let's just call this the Northwest Territories. <laughs> Jim Gaffigan gets the credit for that, so. 
So that would be what it's like. If you're just picked up, your whole family, a bunch of them were killed, and then you're deported off to try to start life all over again. It was a brilliant military strategy to completely disrupt nations and completely subdue peoples. Verse 10, they mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. They worship power. That's all that matters to them, power. Power and wealth, it's their God. Now Habakkuk, at hearing this news, is utterly shocked and amazed. Because he's hoping for some better news. In other words, God says, don't worry, there's a bigger plan, a bigger purpose in place. I'm glad you asked. Let me reveal my bigger purpose to you. And, then, and it involves you being judged, the people of Judah being judged, as I've promised all the way back to Moses, that this was coming if you abandoned me and went into idolatry and were no longer a light to the nations. You completely walked away from God. I'm going to remove you from the land, and I'm going to use your hated enemy, Babylon, to do it. And he's just, his mind's blown. He doesn't know how to take this news. And so, what's amazing here is he's going to respond to God, but he struggles to accept what he hears. It, it blows his mind. And so you see this in his response. But in his response to God, he's going to actually quote back to God what he knows about God that God has revealed about his character. And I think that's powerful. Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, also says this. He says, when God speaks to you or reveals what he's up to, it is so opposite to what we would think that whatever you do next, once God speaks, reveals what you believe about God. So if God, you ask God, what are you doing here? And he reveals a bigger purpose and he invites you into a bigger purpose that's typically scary for you, typically overwhelming for you, typically beyond what you think you can accomplish and you're right. What you, how you respond to him actually shows what you believe about God. Like when Jesus calls Peter, hey, come out to me on the water. And Peter jumps in. Yeah, he loses faith halfway along, but he jumps in. The dude steps out of the boat. That's amazing, and it reveals what he believes. This is Jesus. And here's, what, here's how uh, Habakkuk responds to God in this moment. His, remember, he's just trying to process what he's heard. He says this, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? There's worship, there's faith expressed here. And then he says, we will not die. He's trying to like figure this out. Like, okay, Babylon's coming. You missed your cue. <laughs> to wipe out this people. And yet I know from the promises going all the way back to Moses that Moses says, even if you're dispersed to the nations, I'm going to draw you back. So by faith, Lord, we're not going to die. You, O oh Lord, have appointed them to judge. He's, he's like putting his mind around this. Okay, with what you told me just now, okay, you're going to use them to judge this nation, to bring correction to this nation. And you, O oh rock, see the faith in there? O oh rock, have established them to correct. 
He goes on in verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And so he's asking God. He's wrestling with this all, right? He's expressing faith in the midst of questions. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So he goes, I know we're bad. I mean, I was just complaining to you about that. But these guys, Babylon, they're awful. How do you put up with that? Wait a minute. That doesn't seem fair, God. You're going to use them to punish us? Every family usually has one kid that gets into a little more trouble than the other. That's the good kid, right? I'd be like, you're going to send older brother in to punish little sister after what he just did? That's not right. And so he's wrestling. He's wrestling. And here's what you need to learn from this. is Deeply committed followers of God are oftentimes full of both questions and faith. That he's expressing a trust in God's character and who God is, and yet he cannot reconcile these things in his mind. And you know what? You can't reconcile many things in your mind either. You know why? Because you are human. You are finite. Your life in the scope of eternity is an instant. And God is infinite. And yet, so so he's going to... He's going to wrestle while he embraces God, what he knows to be true about God. God, you are good. You are righteous. You are just. You keep your promises. And yet this seems so wrong to me. I don't get it. And see, that's the place where we find ourselves in so many times when we wrestle with God. It's the place we find ourselves in. It's a lament. In fact, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament where you hear the phrases over and over like, how long, God? Or why do you, God? And yet there's a trust. Even Jesus from the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see this pattern of lament that cries out to God, that acknowledges, God, there's things I see that don't line up in my mind with what I, who I understand you to be. I don't get why you're not doing something about this. And yet, I know you're good. I know you're God. I know you're in control. I can't reconcile these things. He goes on in verse 14. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no rule, ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, and he catches them in his net. My wife, when I go fishing, sometimes she feels sorry for the fish, right? Because they're just dumb. All right. He gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. In other words, he's worshiping these things because they're the things that make him so powerful. For by his net, he lives in luxury and he enjoys the choicest food. And then he asks this final question in this chapter. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? God, are you just going to let these people continue to be wicked and vile and 
and crush nation after nation. And you know the interesting thing? As Habakkuk asks, are you going to tolerate this? How long, God? This is one of the primary questions Habakkuk wrestles with, and the answer that he's going to get in this book is yes, and for a while. And then God is going to offer a lengthy perspective of how justice actually works for the God of the universe and how it will come about. And in the end, Habakkuk will, will wind up in a place of internal peace and trust in spite of the storm around him. But guess what? He's not there yet. This is just chapter one. And in this chapter, he's left wrestling God and embracing who he knows God to be, but he doesn't have a lot of answers. All he knows is, God, you're working, and there's a bigger picture, but I still don't get it. I still don't get how this is fair. And yet I trust you. Committed followers of Jesus can simultaneously have great questions and great faith. That is one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity, actually, if you look at the Scriptures. And some of you here, you're in chapter 1 of this story. Like, this resonates with you because this is exactly where you're at. As you've prayed and fasted, as you've looked at things in life, as you've wrestled, there's just things that you're struggling with because you don't get it. You don't understand. And so this week, I have just those two questions I want you to ponder. The one is, what if you got up and as you find yourself struggling with some of these things, what if um, you ask God to show you the bigger picture? What if you say, okay, God, in the midst of my day, I've got this crummy situation at work that I can't figure out, but what are you doing here, God? Day in, day out, what is God doing in the midst of that day? Like if you got up and oriented your day that way to ask God, today let me see what you're doing. Do you realize there's people God wants you to connect with? That's part of his bigger purpose because what he's doing in this world is he's drawing hearts and lives to Jesus. And if you're a follower of him, you've been invited into an ongoing mission that hasn't changed to encounter people with the gospel and the love of Jesus and to share the truth of who Jesus is with them and see them embrace that and become disciples of him. Like globally, that's what he's about. That's the bigger picture. And if you orient your life on a daily basis with God, what are you doing here? What do you want me to see here? Who do you want me to interact with here? It will shift you out of all the angst and the worry, maybe not completely, but what it will do is it will give you a bigger framework picture so that you have a mission throughout the midst of it. Even though you still have questions and you don't know and you can't put two and two together, you know that God is doing something bigger. He's drawing lives to himself. How is your life that day going to align with that purpose? Who does he want you to pray for? Who does he want you to reach out and pick up the phone and call? God, what are you doing here? Help me understand. What's my place? What, what's the next step you've called me to take in this? Lord, how can I take what I have, my gifts, my abilities, my personality, my interests, and how can that be used as part of your purposes and plans? And the second thing is just, if you've never wrestled with God, I want you to ask, why is that? Or if you're not, 
wrestling with God or it's been years, have you just ratcheted down your expectation of Him moving? Or maybe you've never really embraced who He was to begin with. You've never really committed your life to follow Jesus. Maybe today is the day, maybe this is the week when you embrace Him as who He's revealed Himself to be in Scripture. That you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you when He died and rose again. That you say, okay, I embrace the fact, Jesus, you are God. You are the Son of God. And you came for me. And I want to be part of your bigger purposes and plans in this world. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for each person here, Lord. And I know everybody's in a different spot. But I pray that you would give us each the ability to get up and orient our lives, Lord, by asking, what are you doing here? That we would orient our lives toward you, toward your purposes, toward the bigger picture, Lord. And you would allow us to have those moments and those conversations where we know, wow, <laughs> that was God. Lord, I ask your blessing on each and every life here and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.